0: Welcome to the P. Vine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Well, hey, would you take your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1, James chapter 1. Started a sermon series a couple of weeks ago entitled Real Religion, Testing Trials and Temptations. We're looking through the book uh, of the chapter of James chapter 1 and we're looking at what God says about real religion. Next week when I finish it up, you're going to see that pure religion and undefiled before God is this. Real religion is kind of how the uh, chapter closes out. We're borrowing that language for the whole sermon series and we've looked at Real religion deals with trials. Real religion deals with temptations. Real religion deals with the test of knowing that people are watching us. People are looking at our Christian lives and we ought to be glad that they are because we're, we're trying to point them to Jesus with our lives. Well, James now moves into James chapter one and he, 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 he uses this, this is my title, I, I know some of you. English professors and, and, and majors, you know, I don't always do this well, but if you ain't doing, you ain't trying. I'm trying to give you something you'll remember. And so that's what James tells us in James chapter one, that if you ain't doing, you're not done with the Christian life. And so let me talk about that for a little bit this morning, show you what James says. The American Bible Society did their annual state of the Bible research project this year. And this year, they wanted to decide, A part of their pr- research project was, what do you consider to be a daily necessity? And so they did, polled uh, thousands of Americans, and they came up with, what is a daily necessity? Now, I want you to see if you see yourself on here. What is a daily necessity? Coming in at 16% is the Bible. Now, we wish that was higher than that. I'm kind of proud that there are at least 16% of the Americans say that I must engage my Bible every day. I must be in my Bible every day. But just so you know, Bible was at the bottom of the list. Above it, 18% social media was a daily necessity. So some of you, uh, I, I say my theory here is that's mostly grandparents, right? Like you have to see your grandkids every day and so that's social media. 28% says something sweet. How many of you, that's you. Let me see your hand. I won't even ask you about the Bible. Something sweet every day. Yeah, yeah. And I would fuss at you like there's a, there's a sermon here, right? Like there's a three-point sermon. You, you love technology more than God. You love candy more than God. But I'd have to come to the altar because 37% said coffee. If coffee's a daily necessity, let me see your hand. yeah. Like, I don't want you to talk to me until I've had coffee. I don't want to text, a phone call, or an email before I've had a couple of cups of coffee in the morning because this is kind of, and here's what I feel like. Hey, just say amen if you agree with me. Here's what I feel like, that here's, here's where we are. For me, it's coffee, sweet, and Bible. Can I get a witness right there? Like those three things. And I know that's what you would have said too, but somehow we got them flipped on its head just a, a little bit. James said, if you ain't doing you're not done. Now, here's why I want to show you that, because the worst part about that is not that the Bible is only at 16%. We could preach sermons on that, and we should talk about how more, much more engaged that we ought to be with our Bible, about how much more we ought to love our Bible, about how much more we should uh, read and study our Bible. But the fact of the matter is, us not reading our Bible is not even the worst problem. Us not engaging our Bible on a daily basis is not even our worst problem. The worst problem that James is about to tell us is that not only are we not engaging our Bible on a regular basis, but the problem is we aren't even doing anything with the Bible we do engage with. The greatest problem about the Bible is not that we're not learning the Word of God. The greatest problem about the Bible is that we aren't doing the Word of God. And James tells us that's a a big problem. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? And I want us to look at a few verses here beginning in James chapter 1, verse 22. Here's what he said, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed, this one will be blessed, this one will be blessed in what he does. Thank you, you may be seated. Now, before I just dive in, here's what you have to understand in this. James is telling us that real religion puts faith into practice. The whole point of James chapter 1, uh, verses 22 through, through 25, is that James is trying to tell us real religion puts faith into practice. Let, let me clear up some misconceptions we have about Christianity. Let, let me cl- clear up some, some myths we have about Christianity. Because here's the way you and I tend to think. We tend to think that the Christian who knows the most about the Bible is the best Christian. So we believe that the Christian that, that, that can memorize the most verses, uh, the, the Christian that can recite the verses from Genesis to Revelation is the smartest Christian. How many of you can, can name all the books in the Bible starting at Genesis and ending in Revelation? Let me see your hand. Anybody, anybody can do that? Several of you? Yeah. We tend to think that people that can do that, people that can quote verses, people that that know where stuff is, people that know the definition of a Greek word, those are the best Christians. But listen to me carefully. Let me deconstruct that myth because that is absolutely not true. The best Christian is not the one who knows the most about the Bible. The best Christian is not the one who can take the test and pass the information test. The best Christian is not the one who knows the most, it's the one who does the most with what they know. Because you can pass all the tests and still not be right with God. You can know all the answers and still be far from God in your life. And so we just live in a world that values information. But we serve a God who values transformation. And so James, in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 22, James deconstructs that myth of the information Christian. And he says, if you ain't doing, you ain't done. Let me tell you three things he's trying to say to us. Number one. He's trying to tell us this, that reception leads to deception, that reception leads to deception. He says that beginning in verse, he says it in verse 22, notice what he says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Commentators tell us that verse 22 is the linchpin of the book of James. That all of the book of James can be hung on this this curtain rod. They all hang right here. That verse 22 is the verse that really tells me what James is trying to drive home. That, That is that we ought to practice what we believe. And so James breaks it down. He says you are to be a doer of the word. That word doer there in its original meaning has with it a continuative sense. It literally means to keep on doing, keep on striving. That we are to do not because we uh, need to be saved, but because we have been saved. That we do not in order to believe, but because we have believed. That when you're a doer of the word, you continually are doing the word. The word of God is continually put into action. Listen, that means what you read in your Bible, in your daily quiet time. That means the sermons that you hear. That that means the Sunday school lessons that you hear. That means the godly books that you read, that you are continually being putting that in action. And he says it, he says, I want to contrast two people. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Not that you shouldn't be a hearer. As a matter of fact, in order to be a doer, you have to hear. You have to know what you ought to do. And so James is not condemning hearing. James is condemning hearing only. And he says, you've got to be a doer, not only a hearer. Why? Because when you hear and don't do, what do you do? Look at that word. You deceive yourself. The word deceive means to cheat or to engage in false reasoning. And What James is trying to tell us is that when you are only a hearer of the word, here's what tends to happen. You tend to think you've done all you need to do. And reception can lead to deception because we we get to thinking that I've done enough, that all I have to do is listen. And, And receiving may give me the right tools to do what I'm supposed to do, but it won't get the job done. And the problem with listening and not doing is your brain tells you you've done enough. The problem with listening and not doing is your brain will say to you, good job, high five, you heard a sermon. The intent was never to hear a sermon only. It was to put a sermon into practice. As a matter of fact, when you've heard a sermon or read a Bible verse or heard a Sunday school lesson or whatever it may be, when you have engaged with the Word of God with your ears, you're not finished. You've just started. But you have to be careful because you will deceive your own self. Because your, your brain will tell you this, your body will tell you this, I read a verse today, I'm good. I read a chapter today, I'm good. And it fails to tell you that you're not done when you read. You're done when you do what the Word of God says. I can prove it to you in other areas of life. How many of you have one of these? So we're gonna take a poll this morning, okay? We're gonna take a poll, and I need you to help me, okay? Because I was stunned in the early service, stunned. This is gonna be fun, all right? Now, when I ask you to hold your hand up, keep it up. Don't put it down. How many of you own a treadmill? Raise your hand, keep it up, keep it up. Don't, Don't put it down, keep your hand up. How many of you own an elliptical? Keep your hand up, everybody. Treadmills and ellipticals, keep your hand up. How many of you own both? Keep your hand up, it's already up. How many of you own any kind of exercise equipment at all? Raise your hand. Everybody keep your hand up. If you answered yes, look around, look around. Now, how many of you have a gym membership? Keep your hand, everybody keep your hands up. Everybody keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. If you're on a treadmill, elliptical, any kind of exercise equipment, or you have a gym membership, get your hand in the air. Ready? Get your hand in the air. Ready? Ready? If you use those to the intent they were to be used, keep your hand in the air. Ha <laughs> ha it happened again. It happened again. That is the most awesome sight in the world. I'm so blown away by that. When I was working on this sermon, I thought, well, maybe half the hands will go down. There are like 600 hands up and 589 of them went down when I said that. That was awesome. That was awesome. That's my whole sermon right there. That's all I need. That is awesome. So you, this was better than what I'm about to tell you. That was Awesome. Did you know the American Heart Association says at least 100 million Americans are obese? 100 million Americans, at least 100 million Americans. That's a third of us. A third of y'all are obese. <laughs> Excuse me, you got my pronouns confused. Uh, um, uh, third of y'all are obese. And so that's, that's 100 million Americans. But get this, and you just blew, you blew the numbers away. At least 52 million Americans own a treadmill. That's not an elliptical. That's not a row machine. That's a treadmill. 52 million Americans. Now, if 52 million Americans own a treadmill, that means there are 150 million Americans that have access to a treadmill. Get this. Over 50 million Americans have a gym membership. So here's basically what that tells us. Everybody in America, nearly, has access to a treadmill, a piece of exercise equipment, or a gym membership. Everybody in America does. And a 100 million of, of y'all are obese. <laughs> Something's not adding up. You know what's not adding up? You, you did what I did. When we, we go down to... Uh, athletes world or whatever and we're looking at treadmills and we spend a little more than we should because we're like i'm gonna whip this body into shape and i'm gonna get healthy and i want to buy a nice one i want all the gadgets on it and i want to look like i'm running through paris when i'm running on my treadmill bluetooth and all that stuff and man i'm gonna i'm gonna jam this thing up nice and they're gonna bring it home and i'm making these poor guys carry it upstairs and put it together upstairs and i'm like man i tell you what that is so nice i'm gonna run on that tomorrow and tomorrow I say, you know, I've had a hard day at work. But here's what we did. The, the second day we've got it, here's what we do. We take out our phones and we're like... <laughs> we're putting it on Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook and Twitter. And we're like, yeah, man, got me a treadmill. Going to get into shape. This is going to be fun. Hashtag sweating it out or something like that. I mean, we, we got selfies everywhere of the... I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but did you know this bar right here is an excellent place to hang wet clothes and they'll dry on it very, 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 very well. Matter of fact, your treadmill probably has more wear on the arm than it does on the <laughs> belt. Why? Because we, we thought we had done something great when we joined the gym or Bought the treadmill. I, I think I told you before that studies show endorphins in your brain, brain which is what make you uh, uh, feel good. Endorphins in your brain—the same amount are released when you buy a book versus when you read the book. That's why at home you have all kinds of self-help books you've never read. You felt really good when you bought it. I've done this. Look at this man. Somebody say, "If you read the book, no, but I bought it, and that's the same thing, right? It's the same thing, because." What we wind up doing, let me see if I can go back here. I don't know if I can or not. We wind up deceiving our own selves. Look at what Moses said to do. When Moses got the uh, 10 commandments down, look at what Moses says. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one, one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will, say that word with me, what? Do. 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 See, had they just looked at the commandments and said, oh, these are nice commandments. We love these commandments. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to frame them and we're going to put them in our house in a nice frame. And we're going to walk by them every day and talk about how great they are. And we're going to memorize those and we're going to study those. And we're going to pull out the depths of what God was trying to say to those. Listen, all that's great. As a matter of fact, all that they did do. And I'm saying to you about your Bible, it's great to read your Bible. It's great to study your Bible, frame it and put it on your house. All that is fantastic. But the whole point of the word of God is to do. It's not a book of information. And you haven't done, you're not finished until you've done what the word says. And there are people here today that you're not a believer and, uh, The fact is, you know how to be saved. You can answer the questions. But you're not saved until you do. You're still on your way to a devil's hell because you've not done. You've not put your faith in Christ. And there are Christians here today that think because they hear sermons, they're getting closer to God because they read their Bible. All that stuff is necessary. You should hear sermons. You should read your Bible. All that's good. But what did James say? It's not hearers only, but doers. And reception can lead to deception because you start thinking, your brain tells you, your brain will high-five you. Good job. You heard a sermon today. The intent of the sermon is not you to hear it. The intent of the sermon is, from God is for you to do it. Sure, the second thing that he tells us, and number two, it's this, observation isn't transformation. Observation isn't transformation. He says that in the next two verses. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So James says, a lot of people are are here and not a doer. That means they listen and never implement. And it's like observing your natural face in a mirror. Now, let me explain that a little bit. Mirrors were rare things when this was written by James. The glass mirrors were not even invented yet. Uh, The most expensive mirrors, the best mirrors were something called Corinthian bronze that was polished to a high sheen and it took just the right amount of light and you could get in front of it and you could basically see what you looked at. The angles had to be right. It was difficult. And normal households did not have mirrors in them. It was was expensive households. They were so expensive. People just didn't invest in them. And so men didn't see what they looked like on a regular basis. Women didn't see what they looked like on a regular basis. They didn't have a mirror that they looked at in the mornings to get ready. And so men shaved when they did without a mirror. Women makeup when they did without a mirror. And uh, so so James says this. He said, what you're trying to do is like this. He said, when you find a mirror you're like a man, now let me pause and say, a lot of time in the Bible when you see a pronoun, the pronoun can be interpreted by the context, context as gender neutral. It doesn't mean uh, only a man, it doesn't mean only a woman, it means y'all, right? Now there are gender specific areas in the Bible for sure and the, the context always tells you that and sometimes the wording does. This is one of those gender specific areas because here's what he's saying, He's saying, hey, so let me, let me give you the rest of the verse. He's saying, sometimes you walk by the mirror, see you look bad and keep walking. That is never a woman, <laughs> right? Like if a woman in this day and age got to look at a mirror, she paused, reflected and fixed. And James said, so it's like a man. He walks by and he sees all the blemishes, it's a rare occurrence and he does nothing about it. James says he, just because he saw himself in the mirror, he saw what needed to be done, doesn't mean it's done. He acknowledged it and then moved on about his life as if it didn't matter. And can I say to you that that's how we are about God's word far too many times. Observation isn't transformation. That we hear the sermon we, we read the word, and we may even say amen, and we may even say I agree. We may even like it. It may even make us feel good. But listen to me carefully. Real religion is not just hearing it on Monday. Real reli- on Sunday, real religion is doing it on Monday. That If I look into the word of God and see what needs to be fixed about my life and just walk away, Nothing's really happened at all. This has happened. I promise this has happened I, because I thought about it when I was doing the sermon. My wife's down here, she'll testify to the fact is, I have a routine in the mornings. All of you have a routine in the mornings. My routine to get ready takes me about 17 minutes in the morning. I've timed it several times. I don't know why I've timed it. It's just a thing, and I've timed it. It takes me as long as 22, typically it's 17. It can fall in between, but 17 is about where I am. I roll out of bed, get in the shower, shave, get out, get dressed, and I start my day, go do my uh, quiet time with the Lord first thing in the mornings, and so uh, with a cup of coffee and Here's what I do. I, I get out of the shower and I go over to the mirror and I put gel in my hair and I squirt on my hand and I mess my hair up and then I fix it back the way it needs to go. I know you're shocked. I don't look this good just naturally. I gotta do a little work too. And so, so I fix my hair and, and I don't know what's wrong with me. About three times in the last six months and I don't know why. Three times in the last six months I've gotten out of the shower, I've walked over to the mirror, I squirted gel in my hand, I got it all messed up and I, I mess my hair up. And then the next part is fixing it. But I've just walked away. (laughs) I'm looking in the mirror and I'm doing this, getting gel all in my hair. And somewhere along the line, my brain checks out. (laughs) I get dressed. I go fix coffee. Twice it's happened at home once I've went to work that way. The time it happened at work, I, I went to the restroom at work and I walked by the mirror and I was like, <laughs> and like you're at work, I was in Atlanta, at Like you got to wet your hair, just a thing at work. But at home, I've, uh, I've come out of my office, I try to sneak out of bed uh, early in the morning and Sherry gets up not long after me, but uh, I'll, I'll shut my office door and do my quiet time. I'll come out, cup of coffee in my hand and she'll look at me and she's like, morning, she's like, Joel. Yeah. Did you forget something? Got yeah, pants on. I'm good. She said, go look in the mirror. Now go look in the mirror, man. It's not even like cool millennial messed up hair. It's like bed hair gone astray. It is like all over the place. And I, I said to her every time, I said, I don't understand what, what is happening. Like, like, I don't understand what's happening to me. I was looking in the mirror as I did this. But I had a disconnect and didn't do this when I was done. And I read this verse and I thought, that's me with the hair gel in my hair. You say nobody would do that? I've done it three times in the last six months. Because that's how we are about the Bible. We hear it and we sit here on Sundays and we see it and it speaks into our hearts and lives. And we're like, good sermon, great preaching, Sunday school lesson was awesome. All that was awesome. It really spoke to my heart. But then we go from this place and on Monday, Monday, it's totally forgotten about. And we became hearers only. Here's what Paul said about it in Romans was a powerful verse for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God. What what an incredible verse. James said, you cannot hear enough law. You cannot hear enough word. You cannot hear enough Bible to get right with God. But the doers of the law who were justified." Transformation doesn't come from hearing but from doing. And too many Christians have been in the Christian life far too long and we love to hear more and we wind up just sit soaking and souring with what we know and we can pass every bible test and we're so proud of that and you should but you sit in church 5 10 20 years you hear a whole lot of preaching you hear a whole lot of Sunday school lessons you've read a whole lot of bible and you're convinced there's an information and test in heaven but there's not there's a transformation test in heaven have you put into practice what you heard and God is not giving out awards in heaven for the most sermons heard though you ought to hear sermons he's not giving out awards for the most bible read though you ought to read your bible he's not giving out awards for the deepest study of the Greek word there ever was, though that's fine. God is giving out words to those who do what the Bible says. Observation isn't transformation. I need to know the Bible if I'm going to be transformed in my life, but I've got to let the Holy Spirit work through me and Put it in action. That leads me to the third thing James is trying to tell us. Number three, elevation comes from implementation. Elevation comes from implementation. Look what he says in verse 25. But he who looks, now the word look there means a penetrating examination. It's not a regular word for I just glanced at it with my eyes. It is a word that means I dove into it. I I, I got, I mean, I I got into the word. I got into that sermon. I got into the word of God. I dove into and applied it. I knew it, the law of the word of God and continues in it. Notice that the Christian life isn't a one and done thing as far as walking with God. The word is continue. It means to keep doing it. It's a continual process over and over again. And look, you know why you have to look and continue? You know why you have to do that? Because we, t- we tend to sway everything in our favor. Have you ever noticed that? Do you ever notice you're always more righteous than the next guy is righteous? Like, like we, Jesus had a whole Bible verse about that, but why are you, why are you trying to ke- get the splinter out of somebody else's eye and you got a whole beam in your eye? We're just good at that. We're, we're good at making your sins look bigger than our sins so we feel better about ourselves. And James said, here's what you've got to do. You've got to keep doing a careful examination of the word. And you've got to continue doing that. You've got to continue living out the word of God. You've got to continue doing the word of God. And not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. Now, notice this. This one will be blessed. Here's the process in the Bible. Hear and do, hear and do, hear and do, do. That is a continual process. And when you operate that way, here's what he said. This one What will be what? Blessed. It's a great, powerful, strong word in the original language, blessed. It means to be well-off, fortunate, or happy. It's the same word Jesus used in the Beatitudes. It means you want the favor of God in your life. Then you get into that process of hear and do, hear and do. Listen, here's what he's saying. Doing God's word is the key to happiness and blessing. Get this. That favor from God comes from action. That elevation comes from implementation. The promises of God's word only work when they are put into practice. Hey, the uh, American Heart Association again says about 600,000 people a year have heart bypass surgery. I know quite a few of you have had heart bypass surgery in the and here, and here, here's what they say about heart bypass surgery. They say the doctor, and I've been in the room when a doctor has actually said this to a patient. They said, "Hey, this is a temporary fix. So here's what we need you to do." There's four main things they typically tell a heart bypass patient. Is they say, "Hey, here's some things you got to do. You need to quit drunk, drinking. You need to quit smoking. You need to exercise, and you need to eat healthy." And you can see somebody, man, just had heart bypass, like they're taking notes. Like that doctor just reached in your heart and squeezed it a little bit and rewired it down in there, left a stick of gum. You don't know what he did in there. And like, you're paying attention, right? Like you're paying attention. I need to do what doc? Quit drinking, quit smoking. I need to exercise. I need to eat healthy, right? Got it. Check, 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 check. You leave the hospital five days and you tell your wife, you say, honey, you know, I got to start doing all those things. Let's, Let's just stop and get me a cheeseburger on my way home. It'll be my last hoorah. And the American Heart Association says this, they've done multiple two-year studies, and they say 90% of patients two years after the heart bypass are doing none of the things they suggest. Two years after the bypass surgery, only only 7% of the women have done all four. And two and a half percent of the men have done all four. So, doctor basically comes in and tells us, and look, I've I've not had it. I'll I'll be there one day. I'll be the cheeseburger guy on the way home. I know me. And, and but look, here's what doctor says: You're going to die if you don't do these four things. They told my grandfather that when he was 72, and my grandfather said, "I'll die." (laughs) He said, literally. I like bacon, doing, keep doing what I'm doing. And so, and everybody leaves the hospital knowing what will bring them blessing. It's just that nobody or rarely do people put it into practice. And here's what God said, that you want the favor of God in your life, and you do, by the way, say amen right there. You want the blessing of God in your life? Of course we do. It's not for those who know, it's for those who do. I love Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, that whole, those first six verses are amazing. But here's what he says in the first three. Blessed is the man who walks not. Now notice it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but is delight, that is in the doing of the law of the Lord. In his law does he meditate day and night. He, he learns and he does, he hears and he does. What about the person who hears and does the word? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And notice this, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. That's awesome. And then look what Jesus said. Could it be any simpler? Blessed are those who hear the word of God. And I want to tell you, most Christians put a period right there and James says, don't do it. Blessed, Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Do you know why? Jesus had thousands of people who would come listen to him preach. And they would walk away. And here's what the Bible says. They said, never have we heard a man speak like this. And Jesus started noticing. The crowds were loving the sermons. But they were doing nothing about it. And James was the half-brother of Jesus and James had witnessed all of that throughout Jesus' ministry. And James came along and he took this verse he heard Jesus say. And he wrote James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. Be hear, hear doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourself. Why? Because blessed are those who hear the word of God. You've got to hear it. But you have to obey it. Would you close your Bibles with me let me just preach for another minute and I'm through. Elevation comes from implementation. You want the favor of God upon your life? Hey, look this way just for a second. You're here today and you want the favor of God on your marriage? Can I tell you something? You don't really need another sermon. You already know, if you've been in church any time at all, you already know how to be a good husband and a good wife. The problem is not that you need to learn something else. The problem is you need to do what you already know to do. And when you do that, you say, preacher, there's got to be more. There probably is more you don't know. But you're not going to get the more until you do what you already know. And here's what the Bible says. God puts his favor on those that do. On those that do implement there are people all this building day. you need God's favor on your finances you're not God I need more money God I need a better job God I need well, let, let me tell you this God has said in his word over and over again that if you tithe, he opens the windows of heaven and pour out blessing. That by no means that everything's always going to go great. That does not mean you're always going to have a pocket full of cash. It just means if you want God's favor on your finances, then you ought to give to him the tithe. The Bible says tithe belongs to the Lord. I'm not preaching on tithe today. I'm just trying to help you out that the reason you don't have God's favor on your finances is you're not doing what you know God's already called you to do and said do. Obedience is what Jesus said. You want God's favor on your walk with Him. You say, "Preacher, I I need to. I need to go deeper." And that's not what John said. John the Revelator said in the Book of the Revelation. God said, "He said, you need to go back. And when you've fallen out of your first love, you need to go back and do the first things first. You don't need a new revelation." Go back and do what you know you ought to do. And if you're here today and you say, well, my spiritual life is not what it ought to be, I'm gonna tell you, you're not praying, you're not reading your Bible, you're not walking with God, you're not sharing Christ. Because if you do what you know to do, God's favor will be upon you. There's some of you here wanna be a better Christian. Listen. Listen. But you know there are people in your life you need to forgive and you just won't do it and you say well preacher they've not done anything to get forgiveness from me they are they have hurt me they are hurting look, look, i get i'm i get it i'm not asking you if you feel like forgiving somebody i'm saying if you know you ought to do it the favor of god rests on the other side of obedience Blessed are those who hear the word of God and those who obey the word of God. Favor rests on the other side of obedience, not before. You don't get the favor before you obey. You get the favor after you obey. You don't get the favor of God when you hear the sermon. You get the favor of God when you put the sermon into action there's some of you here today, you don't know Christ as your Savior. I mean, if I were to ask you, if you were to die today, would you spend eternity in heaven? You get terrified. Be it, you can probably answer the questions. You probably know you need to trust Jesus. But you have to do. The salvation of God rests on the other side of obedience. Not that you have to work for your salvation, but you have to trust Jesus. You have to admit that you're a sinner and cannot save yourself. You can't work your way to heaven or be good enough to get there. You've got to believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day. And you've got to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can quote those verses and still be lost. You can quote John three sixteen and still be lost because it's not about, no, it's about doing. Have you trusted Jesus put your faith in him? Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.